1878, England got a glimpse of a real love story. The second daughter of Queen Victoria was Princess Alice, and they were living at a time where a plague was just ravaging the country. They would say that one cough in the air would take out passersby like wildfire. Princess Alice's son came down with the terrible affliction and the doctors told her, we are so sorry, but your son has to be quarantined. You understand your royalty. One day Alice is walking by her son's room and she hears him say to his nurse, why is it that mommy never kisses me anymore? And the words just quite literally suffocate her heart. Without another moment, she just leaps into the room, throws her body over him, and smothers him in kisses. Within days, she's buried. In Eden, humanity was stricken with a terrible ailment, far worse than any disease that disfigures the body, is an ailment that disfigures the soul. The second Adam and Eve sunk their teeth into that apple, the devil said to Jesus, I am so sorry, but they need to be quarantined. You understand. After all, you're royalty. But Jesus couldn't. The second he sees the first tear fall from Adam's eye, he comes bursting onto the scene and throws his life breathing body over our dying broken ones. And within, just like that, he's buried. In AD 31 on a hill at Calvary, the entire universe got a glimpse of a real love story. I think it's the greatest love story ever told. And I want to go through that story in Genesis chapter three with you this morning. But first, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm just going to let my words be few before you, Lord, but I just pray that as we go through this chapter in Genesis 3, where we look at the fall of mankind, I pray that we will walk away from this message seeing you differently. May we see you as the orchestrator of a love story. We are grateful for the sacrifice that you've made for us, Father. In your name, amen. My freshman year of college, I went to school on a track scholarship, and that's an entirely different story. But on the very last day that I would ever run on in my track career, I remember the meet, we made it to Christian Nationals, right? So I was really excited for that. And my race did not go how I felt like it should go. And so after we all get on the bus and we're heading home, I remember I, I just go and I sit back on the very back of the bus and I put my sweatshirt hood over my head and I'm just sobbing in the back of the bus. I was going to school in a small Christian college in Indiana and I decided to call the only person I knew would show up for me at 2 a.m., my mom. So I pick up the phone and I call my mom and I tell her, I know it's going to be late. I'm not going to get back to my dorm room probably till 2 a.m., but I just finished my season, and Mommy, I just want to go home. I don't want to be here anymore. And I'll never forget what she said to me. Three words secured my dependence on my mother forever. She just said, where are you? 
where are you in a tiny dorm room in Indiana at two in the morning, my mommy came and helped me collect everything that I had brought to college with me. And we put it in the back of her car and she drove me home. Three words changed so much. Where are you? It is those three words that we also see Christ say in Genesis chapter three. I'm going to go through this text with you right now. So here's what we're going to do. If you've never heard me speak before, what I like to do is read the entire text and then we'll go back and we'll kind of break it down line by line and see what picture we can understand of who God is and where we fit in this story. So Genesis chapter three, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable to gain wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. I want you to catch this. Genesis 3, verse 9. Here's what God says to his children. It says, but the Lord God called to them, where are you? Where are you? I can't get to you unless you want me to. So first, I'll always just ask you, where are you? Where are you? I believe it is the same question that God is asking you today. Where are you? Where are you, my daughter? Where are you, my son? I can't get to you unless you want me to. So first, he says, where are you? Where are you? So now we're going to go back through and kind of break this down line by line and see what messages there are that are still applicable for us today. It says this, Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Genesis 3.1. And I think from this that we can understand that the serpent... In other versions, it says that he was crafty. Other versions call him subtle. All of this giving the connotation that the serpent was a wise creature. We also know, if you read in uh, Prophets and Kings, we also know that God had not left them in the garden ignorant of the events in heaven, but had acquainted them with the apostasy of Satan and the other angels. That was from the SDA commentary. It says, and let me just tell you this. Here's the thing about the devil. 
If the devil can't get you trapped in sin, he will get you trapped in self. If the devil can't get you trapped in sin, he'll get you trapped in self. He will have you believing that you are so righteous, you no longer need a savior. You are so much better than everybody else who is doing, they're all doing it wrong. If the devil can't get you trapped in sin, he will get you trapped in self. Never forget that we are human beings deeply in need of a savior. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Did God really say? Now, first, what we can understand just from this verse is that Eve is alone. He is speaking to just the woman. And here's what we need to understand. And this is from, let me see if I can get my text here. This is from, I think it's from Prophets and Kings. It says this, the angels had cautioned Eve to beware of separating herself from her husband while occupied in their daily labor in the garden. With him, she would be in less danger of temptation than if she were alone. But absorbed in her pleasing task, she unconsciously wandered away from his side on perceiving that she was alone. She felt at first this apprehension of danger, but she just dismisses, she dismisses her fears, deciding that she had sufficient wisdom and strength to discern evil and to withstand it. This is from page 53 now. It says, unmindful of the angel's caution, she soon found herself gazing with mingled curiosity and admiration upon this forbidden tree. The fruit was very beautiful. And she questioned with herself. She asked herself why God would withhold this from them. And now as Satan, as that crafty Lucifer is watching, he sees his opportunity. Here's what we need to understand. Just by going through these verses, here's what you need to know. Eve felt fear. She felt fear as she gazes at this tree and she ignores it. Here's the thing. Fear is a gift. Fear is a gift. How many times are you doing something that you inside you just, you feel like this isn't right. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be standing. I shouldn't be up this late at night checking my computer. I shouldn't be here. And you ignore it because you think you have, just like Eve, sufficient wisdom to handle the problem on your own. Here's the thing. You were never meant to do life alone. You weren't meant to do life alone. And I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this. If there is a fence, between you and sin, it is always in the devil's yard. If there's a fence between you and sin, it is always in the devil's yard. By the time you are close enough to say, I think it's fine. I'm just peeking. I'm just looking. I know this isn't my husband and I probably shouldn't be going on walks with somebody and talking about my life who's not my husband, but I'm, I'm sufficiently wise. I can handle this. Girl, 
You should not be talking on the phone with him, going on walks with him, having an intimate relationship with him if he is not your husband. I know how it doesn't matter how much you say, but this isn't a sexual relationship. It's just emotional. If there is a fence husband between you and sin, between you and your phone, between you and your computer, if there is a fence between you and sin, it is always in the devil's yard. He just needs you to think that you can sufficiently handle it on your own. And that's exactly what we see here in Genesis chapter 3. Eve has separated from her husband, even though she had been previously warned for them to stay together. What does God say? He says, it is not good for man to be alone. Ephesians 4, 9 through 12 reads, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Here's the thing. Human beings need relationship. You were never meant to live this life alone. We need each other. When they ask people, I'm a social scientist. I've been studying communication and relationship for the last 13 years. And when they ask people, what makes you feel most alive, most at peace, most fulfilled? It always comes down to one word and it starts with a C, connection. Connection is why we are here. When you look at your life and you say, you know, I have a good life. I just need a better job. Or I have a good life. I just need more money. I have a good life. I just need to go back to school. But I have a good life though. What you are really saying is, I have connection and relationships with other people. When we look at our lives and we say, I hate my life. I can't do this anymore. I don't know how to get out of bed anymore. I hate my life. What we are really saying is, I don't have anyone. I don't have anyone who I feel like genuinely knows me. We need relationships. Relationship is why we are here. So let me just say this. When we stop showing up, I'm not asking you to show up to church because it makes you holy. I want you to show up to church because you need community. We need each other. God himself does not exist outside of community and unity. How much more do you think we as fallen human beings need each other? We need each other. We need each other. Eve was not to separate from her husband. We should not separate from our Christian community. We need each other. In Genesis 2, 16 through 17, God has told Adam and Eve that they have access to every tree in the garden except one. God says, you have access to everything, everything that I have made, I now give to you. I'm just asking one thing, one small request. Don't eat from this singular tree. And yet here Eve stands, Genesis 2, 16, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Now here's what I want you to think about. Because I had a friend once who said to me, I'm sorry, but God just seems petty. 
It seems petty. Why are you going to say that she can't touch this one tree? The entire thing, Heather, it just seems petty. They looked at God as a God of limitation. And here's what you need to understand about who God is, right? Astronomers estimate that the observable universe has more than 100 billion with a B galaxies, more than 100 billion galaxies. Our own Milky Way is home to around 300 billion stars. How many trees do you think were in the garden? How many trees do you think were in the garden? Five trees? Ten trees? Probably hundreds, if not thousands of trees. We are talking about a God of creation. This is not a God of limitation, but a God of freedom, of every tree, of all these hundreds or thousands of trees you may eat. I'm just asking you, please don't talk or stand next to this one. And the reason is because he knows that Lucifer was relegated to a single space. Lucifer cannot roam free around the garden. He is relegated to a single space because Adam and Eve had the territory of earth. And here comes Lucifer trying to usurp their territory and reclaim it as his own. And that's exactly what we see happen. He says to the woman, did God really say you must not eat? from any tree in the garden. We already said, first of all, that's not what God said. God said you can eat of every tree except this one. Lucifer twists God's words so that it can fit his own agenda. Did God really say? Here's the thing. We must be certain, church, of what God really said. We, and this is why I believe reading scripture is incredibly important. We have the only way, what do we say? Scripture is a sword, right? It's a sword because it cuts through the devil's lies. You have to be certain of what God really says. The Bible says scripture is a sword. The Barna Group did a study and they found that while 61% of Christians say they have read through the Bible once, only 19% of Christians read it daily. Only 19%. How many people do you think are armed to know what God really said? We have to, I read this quote by J.I. Packer and it said, any Christian worth his salt will read the Bible cover to cover every single year. It is what I tell my young people every semester on a Christian college campus. You have to read scripture for yourself. I read it cover to cover every single year. If you read five chapters a day, Five chapters a day. It takes me about 30 minutes in my morning and I finish the Bible every nine months. You can read scripture for yourself. You can know for certain what God really said if you just commit five chapters a day for nine months and you'll finish. Did God really say, tell me if you've heard the devil whisper that in your ear. Did God really say? Did God really say that he was enough for you? Because right now this rent is due. Is that what God said? Did God really say that he loved you? He doesn't look like a loving God to me. Does the devil not still whisper these things in our ears? We have to arm our brains so that we can respond 
to the lies of the devil with the promises of God. May we know exactly what God really said. Genesis 3, 2 through 3, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. This, I told you, I'm a social scientist. I've been studying communication for the last 13 years. Any social scientist would read this right here in Genesis chapter three and know exactly what Eve has just done. What we call it is distancing language. Distancing language. It's where we try to, through our language, distance ourselves from the truth. So if you ever wanna tell if somebody is lying to you, People who are lying, what they will often do is they'll use distancing language. Instead of saying, I drove my car up the ramp, they'll say something like, I drove the car or that car up the ramp. Distancing language. A really famous example is Bill Clinton during his affair with Monica Lewinsky. What did he say? He said, I did not have sexual relations with who? That woman he knows her name she's been working with him she every headline in america had her name but suddenly she loses her name as he tries to distance himself from the truth that's exactly what we see happen right here in eden eve all of a sudden you know she knew the name of the tree surely ellen white says that the angels had not left adam and eve unprepared do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil but as eve now stands staring at this tree talking between the fence between her and the devil's yard she's talking to him and all of a sudden the tree loses its name she says that tree over there in the middle of the garden Suddenly, the tree is placed in the same category as all the other trees. And the devil can just smell her doubt. Something else that I think is really interesting is God, and I think we often read, I don't know about you, but for years, I read this story right here in Genesis. And I read it as God saying, if you eat from that tree, I will kill you. That's how I read it. 72% of Christians see God as angry, as authoritarian, and as judgmental. So it's not surprising that we bring this perception of an angry God into our reading of Scripture, and we don't even realize that it happened subconsciously. God never says, if you eat from that tree, I'll kill you. What does he say? Do not eat or touch that tree or you will die. There's a big difference. If I say to my son, Sawyer, who is four years old, if I say, Sawyer, if you touch that stove, I will kill you. That's child abuse, right? There's something wrong with who I am. If I'm threatening him, touch that Sawyer and I'll kill you. But if I say, hey, Sawyer, I am your mother. I love you. Don't touch the stove. If you touch the stove, it will burn you. It will hurt you. Please don't touch the stove. That's what God has said. He says, if you touch this, if you do this, you will die. There's a really powerful difference. Here's what I need you to understand about who God is. God is not killing them for sinning. 
He's warning them that sin kills. God is not killing people for not choosing him. He's warning us that not choosing him kills. Sin degrades the body. It degrades the soul. This is a loving God. But if we bring our past suppositions into scripture as we read it, and we start swapping stories with people about this angry God who's full of wrath and judgment and get out of the garden. And then we don't understand why people aren't flocking to our church doors. We have to start telling people about a God who is love. And I want to challenge you as you read scripture to start looking for those spaces where you see, man, this is a loving God. This is a loving God. Genesis 3, 4 through 5, it says this, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. The devil is not necessarily lying to her. Her eyes will be opened. She will know something. She's going to know evil. He's giving her some of the truth, but not the whole truth. He'll still do that to you, by the way. Genesis 3, 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who is now with her, and he ate it. Here's what I want you to really just sit on for a second. Sometimes sin looks good. Sometimes sin looks good. I think we, and, and I grew up going to church school and they often talked about sin as only being, having sex in the back of a car or doing drugs or, or stealing and robbing people and murder. That was all sin. That was the only sin we ever talked about. And so it was really easy to be like, hey, that's not me. I'm not going to engage in that. That looks so bad. Why would I even want to be a part of that? Listen, sin often looks good, and we don't talk about that kind of sin. We don't talk about the sin where you think you look so good compared to the person next to you. And now you have a prideful heart. And you think you're so righteous. You are so self-righteous. What kind of sin do you think it was that separated Lucifer, the light bearer, from his father, God? It was the sin of pride. I will ascend my throne as high as the stars of heaven. These are the things that we really need to worry about. We have to constantly check our own hearts and see where we fit. Do, are we humble That's a sin if we're not. Are we humbling ourselves before the Lord? Are we humbling ourselves before we pray to say, God, I don't know what I'm missing, but please reveal what sins are preventing me from fully communing with you. That's a position we have to constantly take with God. Sometimes sin looks good. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems good to a man, but its end is the way of death. I say this to my students all the time. Sometimes you think, man, I'm going to pick this job because I'm going to make so much money. It looks good. And the devil's like, great. I can show up in your life through money. Are you kidding me? You think I can't get you through money? 
sometimes sin looks good. I want to note here in verse 6 that this is the first time we see the word husband in Scripture. In Genesis 2.18, God says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helpmate for him. Eve was created to be Adam's what? Helpmate. But this is a difficult term to translate into English. It is in the Old Testament that we gain further understanding of what it means to see the word helpmate, the word is ezer in Hebrew. And we see this happen in the Old Testament when Samuel says he's going to raise his Ebenezer, 1 Samuel 7. We read that the Israelites are under attack by the Philistines and they're outnumbered and in fear for their lives. So they plead with the prophet Samuel to pray for God's help. Samuel offered a sacrifice and prayed for protection. And what happens is God shows up. God shows up and they smote the Philistines and they all retreat to their territory. This victory is recorded in verse 12 and it says this, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Ezer in the Hebrew is a masculine noun and I want you to pay attention to this. I want my girls who are watching to pay attention to this. God created you to be man's helpmate. Here's what that term actually means. Ezer is a masculine noun in Hebrew. And of the 45 times that we see it used in scripture, 42 of them denote help from someone stronger. Eve was created to be the helpmate of Adam. God looks at her and says, girl, you're going to make him stronger. You're going to make this garden stronger. You're going to make your community and your churches and your office places stronger. You're an easer. You make things strong. That's what God originally created woman to do. Eve made him stronger. She fails. The person, I really want us to just sit in this for a second, the person that God created to make things stronger has just enticed him into sin. Genesis 3-7 says this, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. That's what Lucifer had promised, right? Your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Genesis 3-7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized. They realized that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Before sin, Adam and Eve are literally robed in the glory of God. We can't even fathom it. They were literally robed in the glory of God. Psalms tells us in chapter 8, verse 5, you made him, as in human beings, you made them just a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you crowned them in glory and honor. The original Hebrew word for crowned here is the verb atar, which means to encircle and to surround. 
Here's what it would have been like to be surrounded in the glory of God. I want you to fully understand what this looks like. Moses says in Exodus 33, 18 through 20, it says, Moses said, now show me your glory. But God said, no, you cannot see my face for no one can see me and live. The glory of God is so powerful. We can't even perceive it in our human state. First Timothy 6, 15 through 16 says, The blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be glory and honor forever. Amen. They were, they were clothed in the glory of God. I am sure that when they realize that they are naked, the deep anguish as they are stripped away from the glory of God. Genesis 2:17. but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God says in the day that you eat of it. And, and if you read it, you might think, man, did God not tell the truth? Because we know that Adam and Eve live much longer than this one day. But I challenge you to look at 2 Peter 3.8. And it tells you a little bit something about the time that Adam and Eve would have been living in, which would be heaven's time before the world falls. 2 Peter 3, 8 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. Genesis 5, 5 reads this, And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he dies. In heaven's time, no one will ever, after sin, live longer than a thousand years or one heavenly day. Methuselah lives the longest, and he lives to be 969 years old. Methuselah is the grandfather of Noah. And at the time, Methuselah dies, I think, in the same year that Noah starts building the ark. No one ever lives longer than one day in heaven's time, which is the time that Adam and Eve would have originally lived in. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make good? Whatever God has spoken or promised into your life, God will do. Moses' promise took 80 years, but once it was time, God literally parts the entire sea. There are 15 years between David's anointing and when David is crowned king. Even Jesus knew when to say, my time has not yet come. What God has spoken to you in the quiet and still of the night will be done. God always keeps his word. And this is why we have to know scripture for ourselves. We have to arm ourselves with the promises of God. Genesis 3, 9 through 9 says this. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? I can't get to you unless you want me to. So first, God always just asks, where are you? Here's the thing. Satan cannot steal your crown. So what he tries to do is take your peace. Right now, right now, God is saying, I am looking for a generation of easers. I'm looking for women who make this world stronger. I'm looking for men to be men. I'm looking for parents to be parents. I'm looking for a church to be a church. So where are you? And I'm going to tell you something. If right now Satan is talking to you, he is lying to you. If the devil is talking to you, he's lying to you. John 8, says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks his native language for he is a liar. He is a liar, the father of lies. Where are you? Where are you? God will never force himself into your life. He will always approach and just ask these three words. Where are you? Where are you? I can't get to you unless you want me to. So first, he just asks, where are you? Where are you? Amen. I pray that as we went through Genesis chapter 3, just the first nine verses, you see a God who's the orchestrator of a love story. God is love. Where are you? Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, I pray right now, Father, for your spirit to encircle and surround us. Lord, I pray that you will stir our hearts, that we may seek you, that we may arm ourselves with our swords of scripture, that we can cut through all the lies that circle around our heads as we question and we doubt where you are. This story, God, is not about, this story has never been about us looking for you. It has always been you pursuing us. All we have to do, Lord, is make a decision to tell you, this is where I am. This is where I'm at. And I want to start over with you because I'm naked and I'm afraid and I need someone to cover my shame. Lord, as you call to us, may we answer where we are. Amen.